go to verse 22, kind of a recap. We, we've talked about um, the two pictures that were being given here uh, in chapter 21 of this of New Jerusalem, so what we call New Earth. And then the second half is who's going to be on it, who will be on New Earth. And we've been talking a lot about that. Beginning in verse 22, just a little recap. Um, we realize that as you look at this new earth, one of the things that's interesting to me is it's different than our current earth in that there is no sun and there is no moon in it, but rather you have the presence of God that provides the light for uh, its residents. Uh, verse 24 to me is, is really beautiful. By, by its light, by its light will the nations walk, the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. And uh, you just kind of picture that, that, that whole thing, that um, as you look around new earth, who do you see? The, the nations, right? I've always been struck by this. We, we talk about... Um, the kingdom of God as a gathering of people from all different nations. And last week I shared this, this word with you, glocal, that, the, that we're living in a unique time and in, in place in history where, um, you know, in my growing up years, we, we always talked about we're going we're gonna to go do missions so that what? So that the nations will know Jesus Christ, okay? Um, this church body, the Missouri Synod, was really on the forefront of taking the gospel to the nations. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. Um, because of the, the men of the church stood up and said, it's important for us to use all, avail all available medium to get the word of God out. And uh, how many of you remember something called Lutheran Layman's League? LLL. Where, where men from all over the country said, we're going to step up to the plate, we're going we're to promote and provide for missions to take place. Well, when I was a little kid, that, that meant taking hold of radio. And uh, early on, this church body um, developed what um, we call today the Lutheran Hour to get the Word of God out across the the nations, right? Across the country, across the nations. And uh, for, for years, you know, that was one of the ways that our church body said, we're, we're going to make sure the gospel comes into people's lives. We produced television shows. When television became, you know, something important, um, new, new we, we had two different television shows that we, we helped produce. One was called This is the Life. Remember This is the Life? Um, you know, you can still see that this is a life. Now that we've got all like 10,000 channels out there, they have, I guess, a couple of channels where they replay oldies, like real oldies, and this is the life. Uh, they went back now and retaped the beginnings of them so that you've got a modern, you know, entryway into them. But you can watch that. And then for me as a kid, remember Davy and Goliath? Remember Claymation? That stuff? You know, so, so we were on the forefront. Um, I always ask people, what would that look like today? This is one of my, one of my dreams is, call me crazy, but one of my dreams is, you know, we've kind of gone from radio to television to the internet, right? And, um, you know, one of, the, one of the things I'd love to see happen in our church body would be a 24-7 church available on the internet um, 365 days a year. 
And uh, so I've talked to the guys at Lutheran Layman's League now, um, i.e. the Lutheran Hour. I said, wouldn't it be cool to get together a, a conglomeration of churches across the country? And what we would do is we would raise up folks who wanted to be able to, to put on um, kind of a, a church service with a little bit of music and, and some Bible teaching in, in their homes. And we would film that live and stream it up onto the internet. And so you would have a teacher, you would have a little bit of music, and then you would have a responder. Your responder is there to respond to anybody who types in and say, hey, I got a question or I have a need. And if you had enough churches, we have 6,500 of them across the United States who could develop these teams, we could, on every Lutheran website, have a button that says, for live church, stream now. And uh, I'll tell you where we would advertise. I, uh, this is not my idea. This, this actually comes from uh, a guy in Oklahoma City. A guy in Oklahoma City says, the best place to advertise church is on gambling sites and porn sites. And um, can you imagine taking out an advertisement on a porn site for church? Well, it works. Because all of a sudden you got some guy who goes, click. And there's this thing that says, for church, push this link. You know how many guys go, you know what? I'm embarrassed. And they click that link. And all of a sudden they're in someone's living room and they're listening to the Bible. And they go, I need help. And you know what? With a network as large as our church body, we could tie people into churches. Isn't that a kind of a cool idea? 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, church coming at you, the Bible being taught, because I, I believe that that's, that's what it means to be, right, the voice of Jesus Christ to, to the nations. And so this picture to me is important. When you, when you look at New Earth, um, it's made up of people from all around the globe because, um, you know, we've said, let's make sure that this, this message goes out to the very ends of the earth. Also notice two things, the, the kings of the earth, it says. Uh, the kings from all over the nations are bringing their glory and their honor into the house of God, okay? And I shared this with you last week. Um, in my mind, I, I picture, you know, as you come into to, to new earth, it's like uh, coming into the temple in the Old Testament, and, you know, when Solomon built the temple, one of the things that you read about in the Old Testament is the kings of the earth who brought their gold and brought their jewels and brought their, you know, their, their wood for the building of the temple in Jerusalem. And at that time, what was going on is the kings of the earth were buying insurance policies. They, they, they did not want to mess with Israel because they, they watched what happened under David and Solomon. There, there were no armies that could stand against God, right? And so they said, well, we don't want to get crushed. So they brought their gifts. And their, this is different. The kings of the earth now bring their honor and their glory. They're not buying an insurance policy. They're people who, what, who came to Christ, who are bringing now their worship to God. I come to, 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 to bear uh, witness to you as my God. 
Verse 27. This is new, and I, and I think it's significant. Um, <clears throat> I'm just going to flip over here because I want to make sure I have this, this word in front of me. All right. So uh, verse 27 says this, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay? I want to play with this for just a minute. Okay? I think we know this. We're like, well, of course. The only ones who are going to come into the new earth are those who what? Who are clean. They've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. They're wearing his righteousness. It's the only thing that lets us in. Okay? They're not clean in and of themselves. They're clean because we're wearing the righteous robes of Jesus Christ, right? We're covered in him, okay? But what, what's, what's striking to me is, um, let me kind of parse this out for you. As we come into new earth, it seems like there's, there's three things that are new, okay, about this, this new existence. Um, one, our, our physical bodies are different, okay? So as on new earth, we assume bodies that are, are like the body of Jesus Christ post-resurrection. Okay, so, so my body is not like the one that I have now. On the good side of things, it's not old and decrepit, right? Um, I don't hurt every morning when I wake up. My back doesn't shout out at me and say, ouch, every morning when I get up anymore. You know, it's, it's, that's gone. That pain is gone. Uh, I have a body that I, I don't think we can understand fully what Jesus' resurrected body was like. We know that he could eat, which is a good thing, but he could also walk the wall. Right? So it's a completed body. It's, there's a physicality to it, but there's a spirituality to it. So that's new. We have new bodies on, on new earth. Okay? Unanswerable, in my opinion, is the question that a lot of people ask, well, you know, Luke, what about this, this, uh, this baby that died as a baby? Will they be a baby? And I like to say, yeah, I believe they will be a baby. There'll be babies in, in, on New Earth, just like there are babies today. Um, what about, I had a miscarriage. Well, that, you know, the doctors just said, well, we're, we're going to, you, you can't recognize it as a person. I'm, I'm like, it doesn't matter. At conception, God recognizes that person. So that person is not just a blob. They're, they're a person on, on new earth, right? Completed bodies that we have. Okay, so we know that we have new bodies. The second thing we have is we have new relationships. And we've talked a little bit about this, that our relationship to one another becomes like the relationships that angels have today. Okay? Um, we can't count the number of angels there are in, in, made of God, but myriads upon myriads, right? And how do they relate to one another today? Well, they don't marry each other, right? They, they, they're sexless. They don't have male and, and, and female, right? I believe as, as created human beings on new earth with new bodies, we'll still retain our, our sex, male, females. They'll be that, okay? But what we won't have is the same relationship to one another. We don't get married on new earth. So you have more of a relationship like the angels have uh, to one another and to God. We recognize that that really is our groom. All right, we're, we're married to him. Uh, we have that intimate relationship with him.
here, here, and don't, don't miss this, this is the third component. I believe that as we come on a new earth, we receive new natures. New natures. Okay? What does that mean? All right? Follow me over to the book of Romans, chapter 7. Follow me to Romans, chapter 7. This is familiar language to you, and I think it's important because we, we look at who we are today as uh, citizens of the kingdom of God, um, followers of Jesus Christ. Are we today perfect people? So on one hand, we like to say absolutely yes in the sense that we're, what, we're covered by Jesus Christ, his perfection. And then on the other hand, we say absolutely no in the sense that we retain, right, e even post-baptism, we retain part of that old nature, that nature that causes us to do what? To want to sin, okay? So um, here's, here's Paul in Romans 7 describing the nature that we currently have. And, and he, he begins in verse number 7, he says, what, what should we say, that the law... Is it sin? No. By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, that, that Paul recognizes that apart from, from faith and, and really knowing the law through faith, he does not even recognize his sin. He would say... When I was killing Christians, when I was persecuting the church, if you would have interviewed me and said, Are you, aren't you doing something wrong here? You're killing people. For goodness sakes, you're killing religious people. He would say, no, I'm doing exactly right. I'm doing God's will. He literally couldn't see that he was murdering the, the citizens, the saints of, of God. Until what? Until he comes to faith. And now the law is like a big, bright spotlight that says, oh, and it crushes him. This is Paul in his conversion, falling to his knees. Oh my gosh, what have I done? I've sinned against, I've sinned against God. Okay. Um, so let's skip down just a little bit. Let's go down to um, verse 14. He says, for, for we know this, that the law, the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Do you, do you have those words underlined in your Bible? Because I do. Because I've read them thousands and thousands of times, and I've asked the question, why is it, God, that I do not do the things I want to do? I want to do them. I'm like, I read the Bible, I think, oh, this is exactly how I want to live. I'm, I'm going to read my Bible every day, I'm going to do this, I'm going to worship you, God. And, and then I'm like... That's what I really want to do. Do I do that? No. What do I do? The exact opposite of that. Like, now these things I definitely do not want to do. So what do we do? We do those things. And this is Paul, right, post-conversion, saying this is that nature that continues to live inside of us post-baptism, or as Martin Luther used to say, when we get baptized, we're, we're becoming a new person, right? We're drowning our old nature, our old Adam. He says, so you drown that baby. Just drown it really good. Hold it under. Okay? You know, I mean, we don't really get that image as well as the Baptists do. They, they got the, the tank, 
you know, and you just have to push the person under, start counting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You going to give a little more to the church? Yeah, we'll give a little bit more to the church. <laughs> then you let them up, you know. I mean, that's how the Baptists, you wonder how the Baptists pay for these buildings, right? It's all about the baptism, right? No. But that, that imagery of, of, of dying. Well, Luther would say, you know, we drown the old Adam. And then the very next day, we discovered that the old Adam is a really good swimmer. Still alive in us. This is Paul. He is crying out. He says, verse 16, if I do what I, what I do not want to, then I agree with the law. That's good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And uh, he goes on to say, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. By the way, this is one of the things I've always loved about uh, this church body. And you go back and you look at Luther's prayers in contrast to the prayers of some of the monastics. I encourage people, Christians, go back and study prayers. They're, they're so interesting. Study prayers from the Celtic period. Oh my goodness, such beautiful prayers. Monastics, particularly some of the spiritualists, have just beautiful, beautiful prayers. Some of them sound really beautiful. Luther didn't have beautiful prayers. He really doesn't. But study his prayers more than you study all the others. Here's why. He had honest prayers. A lot of the prayer life of people, when you go back and look at history, it sounds good, it sounds pious, it sounds, Lord, I love you, I give you my heart, I give you my worship. Here's Luther. God, this morning I woke up, and I want to strangle my neighbor. <laughs> he really is ticking me off and bugging me, and I want to put him to death. But God, I really don't want to do that, right? That's Luther's prayers. You know why? Because that's Scripture. I think it's good for us to be able as Christians, we don't have to pretend. We don't walk into church and pretend we walk into church. We go, guess who I am? I, I'm a person who wants to strangle my neighbor. And it's not good. And so what are we saying is, is God, put that, put that to death inside of me. Well, when you get to the revelation, this is what I'm saying is we, we, have, we have a new, new body. We have a new relationships. But here, finally, on new earth, we have a new nature. We no longer want to sin. There's nothing inside of us that says, I want to come against God. Everything inside of us says, I want to serve, please, live with, worship, and be part of life together with this God who is my groom. I love that because... You guys are passing sin around. Look at that. <laughs> They're passing sin around. Well, if you're going to sin, Luther says, do it boldly, right? <laughs> go, go for the whole thing. But see, yeah, see, we're, when we're there, we're like, nope, I, you don't have that. And I tell you what, most Christians I talk to, and, and counselors will say this, you, know, you have somebody, and they're just in there like, how, how can I get rid of this thing inside of me that just, wants, that just pushes me? And I just want it gone. And why doesn't God just take it away? Ah, he will. But that'll come when you're on new earth. That nature, that desire that you have for sin will be gone forever. And so I love that scripture that nothing unclean, detestable, or false enters into new earth, right? You don't have that anymore. Not even your nature is false, detestable, or unclean. It's desirous of the things of God. I love that. It's just a beautiful, beautiful picture.
Let's go to chapter 22. All right. Chapter 22, I think, I think has a kind of a mix of things in it, but the first part of it now is going to actually take us back to Eden, okay? And uh, we're going to compare the, the two gardens, if you will. So, beginning verse 1, it says, Then, then, the angel showed me. Kind of a, an ongoing theme throughout the Revelation, right, is is John is constantly seeing this new picture, this new picture, this new picture, and he's stuck. What, what, what's that? So he always has an angelos, an angel, that says, oh, let me, let me show you this. Let me show you what this is about. So here the angel shows John the river of the water of life, bright as a crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, one single throne, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of nations. Okay. So, a couple of things kind of run through my head when I read these, these words. Okay, we're, we're seeing, okay, here's the streets. We've got right through the middle of the street, this river. It's going. I look on either side of the street and I see these trees. They're bearing fruit and they're the trees of, of life, right? And it takes you back almost immediately to, to where? To the, to the original garden, to Eden, okay? So come with me over to Genesis chapter 2 and kind of compare this in your mind. Just kind of remember what the garden looked like. Genesis 2. Verse number 8, it says, In the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, right? By the way, Eden uh, in Hebrew, Eden in Hebrew, the language, um, has uh, the connotations of luxury, delight, and pleasure. Eden is luxury, delight, and pleasure. I'm going to plant a garden, and it is called luxury. It is called delight. It is a place of pleasure. Right? In the Greek, via the Persians, believe it or not, we have the word paradios. All right? So remember the, the thief that's on the cross and he's asking you know, for forgiveness for what he's done and Jesus says, and I tell you this day that you will be together with me in paradios. Paradise, we would say, right? Paradios, literally translated, means, this is kind of interesting, a heavenly garden. Literally translated, a heavenly garden. Uh, it's only used three times in the entire New Testament. But it always points us back to this, this garden. Did you guys remember that God planted this garden, Eden? Why does it say it that way? Because we picture creation, right? And creation is God speaks and bam, it comes into being. Speaks, bam, it comes into being. Speaks, bam, it comes into being. And God planted a garden in Eden. Well, what is there about that language? It's, it's more intimate, isn't it? it it's, it's, it's a God who's now playing in his dirt. It's a God who's now not just separate, 
lot of people have that image of God in their minds that he's way out there, somebody doesn't really interact with us. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Remember, this is the God who played in his dirt, who planted the garden, and who said, I want this to be the place where, where my, my creation man, Isha and Isha, man and woman, will, will live. There he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I was thinking about that, that you had these two trees that uh, are, are really um, meant to, to be uh, representative of of. of who God is in our lives. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, of course, is the tree that God said, Adam and Eve, you, you will not eat of this tree. Okay? The tree of life is the tree that God said, you, you will receive ongoing and eternal life by eating of the fruit of this tree. Eat of it. Eat of this tree. Right? Um, for ages, people have tried to figure out, well, what kind of a tree was this I'm like just stop that's not that's not the point of it nor nor will you ever figure out what kind of a tree it was but this is the tree of life now in revelation what is what do we see on either side of the street with the river down trees of of life do we see a tree of knowledge of good and evil no we don't why was that tree in the original garden well that tree was in the original garden i think for a very important reason okay and it answers a question that i think it's asked all the time of christians it's the question of free will it's the issue of free will does a human being have free will now as lutherans we have a quite an interesting answer to that question but we start off with the answer yes why do you say that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when God put man in the garden, he put in front of man a tree that represented choice. God said, I desire to have a relationship with you, an intimate relationship with you. I play in my dirt. In fact, I breathed into the dirt that made you. I want to walk with you. I want to be with you. I want everything about us to be paradisios. I want it to be good, filled with joy, filled with pleasure. My very best I've given to you. But I'm giving you a choice. Of this tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, do not eat of it. What is he saying to Adam and Eve? He's saying, I want to have this relationship with you, but you have a choice. What is your choice? You can choose to not have what I desire to give to you. You have the ability to make that choice. Okay? In fact, I always say the most powerful thing inside of a human being is the, is the power to choose not, not to receive what God desires for you to have. It's the most, most powerful thing that a human being has. It's more powerful than an atomic bomb, more powerful than any invention that ever, any human beings ever come up with is the power that you have to literally say to the Spirit of God, I don't want you. And choose not to follow God. Now as Lutherans, we kind of fit 
into the whole of the discussion of, of free free will uh, in, in kind of an interesting place because when you talk about free will, you, you end up inevitably um, talking about the idea of uh, predestination. You, ine you inevitably are going to end up there. Okay? And what Luther always taught was, was and, and is, I believe, scriptural, but not logical. Okay? What Calvin taught is logical, but is it scriptural? Okay? These are the two great teachers of old. What Augustine taught as a Catholic theologian was something a little bit different than either Luther or Calvin, but is it scriptural? So let's walk through those three different voices of history that are alive and well today in our world, right? Augustine, what does he say? Man comes into the world and man uh, is perfect. Man chooses to disobey God and falls. Fallen man retains a part of, a little piece of, a little shadow of, what they initially had when they were without sin in the garden. Namely, that part of their nature that desires to cooperate with God. The whole, the whole of Catholicism, when you look at it as a theological system, is centered in that idea that inside of a fallen human being is the capacity and desire to work cooperatively with God towards what? Becoming whole again. Being saved. Okay. So, so as a Catholic, I grow up, and what do I say? Well, I need to perform or be a part of, take, partake in, be part of the sacraments of the church. The sacraments of the church are things, baptism, right? Um, confirmation, marriage. All of these are seen as, as things that give to me grace that causes that part of me that desires to work with God to, to work towards what? Having this right relationship with God. That's Catholicism. That's St. Augustine. So is he saying we have free will? Yeah, Augustine says, yeah, I think we've, I think we've got some freedom of, of will, but we've got a part of that will that, that, that has the ability to cooperate with God towards achieving our salvation. Calvin comes along and he goes, no, 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 that's not true. He says, yes, we started off in the garden, we were perfect, then we chose to sin against God. Now we're fallen man. As fallen man, we... We uh, think we have choice, but we do not. God chooses. This is called predestination. In fact, it's called, let me be more specific, double predestination. Because part A, God chooses whom he will save. Part B, God chooses whom he will not save. It's all about God's choice. Now, the good news Calvin would say for us living in, on planet Earth is we don't know which is which. We, we have no way of knowing which is which. And so we will always operate as though a person is, is what being called by God to be saved. That's how we will work operatively in the church. Okay? Uh, when I was 
in seminary, um, one of my favorite preachers was a guy in Coral Ridge, Florida. His name was D. James Kennedy. Still, uh, he's, he's in heaven now. I still love to go back and listen to his sermons. But D. James Kennedy, uh, back in the 1970s, he, he, he's a guy whose theology is Calvinistic. In other words, it is double predestination. Some are chosen by God for salvation, some are not. But do you know who wrote the premier evangelism material for the 1970s and 80s? D. James Kennedy. And you're like, well, if man doesn't have the free choice, why are you even writing evangelism material, right? Why even go evangelize? Because they don't choose. D. James would say, well, no. Uh, God still wants us to do what? To go out with the gospel. We don't know who is predestined to and who is not predestined to. So we go out and we operatively work as though every human being has the capacity to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so D. James was kind of the evangelism voice of the 1970s and the 1980s, even though Calvinistic. Now Martin Luther, he shows up on the scene. What does he say? The old monk. He says, you know, I don't think Augustine is right. I don't think after we fell that we retain any part of us that chooses to cooperate with God. When we fell, we fell into a state of spiritual death. Dead now to God. No part of us desirous of cooperating with God or loving God. Born as Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 indicate enemies of God at enmity with Him. Well, you know what? That sounds a lot different than Augustine, who's saying, no, 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 Luther, 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 Luther. There's a little part in there that wants to cooperate. Luther's like, no, 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 no. Dead is dead. Do you know that Luther used to actually take his students out into the seminary, cemeteries in Germany? He did this. This is one of his favorite lessons. And he'd say, okay, everybody get together here. He says, now here's what we're going to do. We're going to raise the dead. He said, clap real loud, stomp, yell, sing, let's get them up. And all the students would be like, you are insane, Luther, which he pretty much was insane. And uh, his wife would be like, oh, why do you do this to me? And uh, so they would yell and scream and holler. He'd go, look, nobody got up in the grave. You know why? Because they're dead. He said, guess what Ephesians chapter 2 says? You're spiritually born dead. You don't have the capacity to get up from the grave. You don't have the capacity to love God or choose Him or cooperate with Him. You are dead. And so Luther would say this, do we have free choice? In my deadness, do I have free choice? Luther would say, well, of course. You have the freedom of choice to deny and push away God. And in fact, that's what your nature will choose to do on a regular and ongoing basis. That's who you're going to be. Pushing God away, pushing God away, pushing God away. It's free choice. But can a dead person choose to love God? Or cooperate with Him? Nope. Can't. And so what must happen first? God must quicken the person. Prioritize their desire to do any good whatsoever. And so does Luther teach, I always, I always, you know, this is fun for me. I was teaching, now, does, do Lutherans teach predestination? And it's fun for me because most Lutherans will always say what? 
No, no, we're not predestinationists. Yes, we are. Luther says God predestines or chooses those whom he will quicken, but gives all the capacity to push God away. It is a logical conundrum. It doesn't fit. It doesn't work. And what Luther would say is, this is true. It is not logical, but it is the island upon which I will stand because I can do no other. It seems to be what Scripture teaches, that I have a desire at birth to push God away. It is only after I am quickened by God that I what? Have any desire whatsoever to follow Him, love Him, and do His will. That's why when you learn the Apostles' Creed and Confirmation and you get to the third article, which is about the Holy Spirit, what do we say? I believe that I cannot by my own power or strength come to Jesus Christ or what, acknowledge Him as God. I can't. I don't have that capacity. right? And so <clears throat> the words here in the Revelation are taking us back to that original garden. And what they're doing is they're saying we have a God who created us but who put us into a garden, desires relationship, how is he going to get relationship with us? Choice. If the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is not in the garden, guess what we become? Robotic. God made me, put me in the garden, wound me up, and said, love me. And I have no choice. I just love God. That isn't what happened. God puts me in the garden, makes me intimately, forms me in his own image, gives me a soul and says, don't eat of it. Choice. I have the capacity to choose not to follow God. And because I have that capacity, we have the capacity for what? For relationship with God. I'm just going to say this this morning. We, I grew up in a church body and, and parents, <clears throat> parents today, I, I hope you hear this. We did not talk about a rela having a relationship with Jesus Christ. We really didn't. I grew up in a church, and here's what we talked about. Do you go to church? Do you belong to a church? Are you in the youth program at the church? Are you in the mission program at the church? How do you volunteer at your church? This is all the language that we used when I was growing up. If somebody would have stopped and said to me, do you have a rela personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, I mean, I, I could hear those words, but I'd say, whoa. Wait, that sounds a little touchy-feely for me. We're Germans. We're Lutherans. We don't, we don't do that. Well, guess what? He played in the dirt. He formed the man. He said, I want relationship with you. Intimacy, talk to me, listen to me, walk with me, wrestle with me, all of it. And so today I, I tell parents is, help, help our kids to, to grow up. Jesus, God is not just an out there God, that we somehow go to church to worship. He's a right now beside me, walk in the garden God who plays in our dirt and who's constantly desirous of us hearing him and walking with him. And so that picture that you have of the original Eden is important because the picture that we're receiving in Revelation 22 is what? Is there going to be like a street? And there's going to be like water pouring down the street, and then there's these trees over here, and we go eat the tree. No, that's, no. remember Revelation is what? It's symbols. Help meant to, to do what? To help us understand a little bit better, little puzzle pieces, this picture of what New Earth is like. If the river of life that's, that's described here is 
pouring out of, where is it coming from? The throne, the throne of the Almighty and the Lamb. Is the Spirit also present? Yes, not mentioned, present. The, the Trinity, the God that we know who is in a relationship, all parts of the persons, desires to do what? To supply eternal life to us. Right? That's the fruit of the tree will give you life forever. It's the picture that we're getting is, he is saying, I will be your supply. And what does the river symbolize? Go back in your minds to John chapter 4 and just look at the woman who's sitting by the well, thirsty, 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 and listen to Jesus say, I will give you water of what? Life. That if you drink of, you will what? Live forever. What was he talking about? I'll give you me. And you'll have me. And you'll live forever. That's the picture that Revelation is giving to us. Okay? We'll go back over to the Old Testament and see a precursor of that. But let's stop for the day.